Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, We are having, I think this is going to be a very interesting topic for you all. And so I want to make sure that you also check out uh, the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And we have lots of things on the website for you. Uh, We have different kinds of uh, white papers that you can read, that you can look at, you can integrate. And I just really want you to take advantage of all that we have. And we have so many podcasts now. I'm kind of amazed. I, I didn't think about how many years I've been doing this. And so I decided today that I wanted to talk about mental hygiene and the rich caveman. So I know that that does not really make sense, but it will. So when we talk about mental hygiene, we have to recognize that the problems of mental disorders have been certainly increasing tremendously for the last two decades and all over the world. And our country is no exception. In fact, we are really ramping up the mental issues and the disorders and the problems that we're having. So we really witnessed a rapid growth in mental disorders and all kinds of different types during this period. And the incidences of mental disorders are acquiring unusual dimensions every year. And this causes great concern to educationists, to psychologists, to social workers, socialists, sociologists, and all of those who are closely connected with the welfare of an individual and the society as a whole. So the mentally um, disordered persons, okay, have become a great liability in the nation. And this is not in any way putting them down. This is recognizing, wow, what's going on in our society? And so the extent of mental disorders in the general population, and this is according to a survey which was conducted by Dr. Saria in even as, as late as 1963, and it was that 9.5 persons for every 1,000 had mental disorders. Now, according to another survey that was conducted by Dr. Duby, it was that 21.3% of persons for every 1,000. So whoever we agree with, whether it be Dr. Soraya, Dr. Serbi, 
is that the conditions in our society haven't changed greatly, and subsequently, the percentage of mental disorders has increased in the last two decades. So when we think about this, that the National Institute of Mental Health is saying that we need to take some immediate attention. And the major factors that are responsible for this rapid growth of population and problem, problem issues with our mental health is because there's a big conflict of values, there's some social alienation, the industrialization, the competition, we have unemployment, we have communal disharmony, right? And we have a materialistic attitude when it comes to people. And we really think of them sometimes as objects or something that is there to serve us. So there's a great need to check the rapidly growing menace of mental health disorders in order to maximally develop the potentialities of our population and for, the pro for progress, and it will benefit the country. So mental health disorders have been referred to in ancient scriptures since the dawn of civilization. And I can quote you a whole bunch of different places out of ancient books, but it's not nearly as interesting as what's going on now. So mental hygiene is a science which deals with the process of attaining mental health and preventing men mental illness in our society. So it, it is a long-term process which begins early in childhood and continues till the death of an individual. So it covers all phases of life right from infancy to old age and death. So when we look at the development of mental hygiene and that movement, we want to kind of differentiate between the two terms of mental hygiene and mental health. There, there is a difference. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, so sometimes this kind of confuses us. So mental hygiene and mental health may differentiate as a means to an end. So mental hygiene is a means of mental health. So the more that we are careful about our mental hygiene, the better our mental health will be. And this is where we have a tendency to really, uh, we, we don't even address this anymore. This mental hygiene issue of what do you spend your time thinking on? How do you think? Do you challenge your own thoughts? Because we know that words create things. And that my words that I think and that I speak affect the world around me and my internal world. And so we have several definitions of mental hygiene, and they've been given by clinicians, psychologists, educationalists, all these different people. And so it, it's not possible here to reproduce all of them. So we're going to kind of look at just a sample approach. So Klein has defined mental hygiene as an endeavor to aid people toward, to ward off trouble as well as to furnish ways of handling trouble in an intelligent fashion if it can't be warded off. So what people call their troubles can be classified into a series of maybe conventional categories such as illness, religion, finances, sex, social position, relationships, safety, maybe accidents, old age, these types of things. And so when we look at that, we want to think about, hey, what's another way to define mental hygiene? Well, it can be the application 
of the body of hygienic information, okay, and I'm going to explain that, and that's a technique that, that comes from the sciences of psychology, child psychology, education, sociology, psychiatry, all of these different ones that want to improve mental health of the individual and the overall community. And so we're always looking for prevention and cures, right, of, of different diseases. But the problem is with mental hygiene become maybe if we're not having good mental hygiene that we be, then begin to have mental disorders. A lot of this has to do with our family systems, our educational level, what we've learned, what we believe, whether or not we are adjusting to any new situation that we're in, whether it be we had a baby, whether it be I lost my job, whatever the adjustment might be, I could have won the lottery. So it's really difficult to figure out what we're going to do with all of this and how we're going to actually manage it. So the beginning of the mental hygiene movement in the West can be traced to the first decade of the present century, which was Clifford Beers. And he's a graduate of Yale University. And being frustrated with his life, he attempted to commit suicide in the year of 1908 by jumping from the roof of a building. However, he was saved and treated for his quote-unquote mental illness. So after recovery, he wrote about his experiences in a book that's titled a mind that found itself. And the book revolutionized the concept of mental ill and mental illness and created an awareness in the general public for the necessity of mental hygiene. So the first Society for Mental Hygiene was established in 1908, and the National Society for Mental Hygiene was formed. And this was back in 1919. So I want you to think about this idea of mental hygiene. So if you take the word hygiene, what do, you, what do you think about? Well, washing my hands, right? How about eating the right things? If I think about hygiene, would it be taking a shower regularly? How about maybe hygiene would be about, do I wash my clothes? Am I wearing clothes that fit me? These types of things, when we consider what hygiene is, we want to say to ourselves, okay, we practice a lot of physical hygiene, but are we practicing mental hygiene? So the goals of mental hygiene, they're pretty specific, and they fall into the following categories. Realization of potentialities. Now, what does that mean? Well, the main goal of mental hygiene is to provide opportunities to individuals to develop these potentialities. In other words, to be your own best version. And each individual has some inherent potentialities which remain repressed if they don't allow them or work on them. So many times if that happens, individuals get really frustrated and consequently they become the victims of mental illness. So this is why when I said I want to talk about the rich caveman, what I want you to think about is many of us are just living at the basest part of our nature when we actually have so many resources. So the rich caveman is the guy that doesn't grow, doesn't flourish, doesn't try to discover who he is, why he's here, what he's doing, and just lives in a really small world that doesn't challenge him. And so he has all kinds of resources, lots of money, 
lots of time, but it gets squandered. So the mental hygiene I'm wanting you to think about today is what are you squandering in your life? What potentialities do you have that you either given up on or talked yourself out of? Are you living like a rich caveman? That you have all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of resources, but you don't take advantage of any of them. You just live out of the basest form of yourself. The easiest way to live. And I want to encourage you to really focus on this idea of mental hygiene. Because we're going to talk about happiness, which is one of the biggest components of a healthy mental hygiene. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about mental hygiene. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me today, and thank you for all of your input on social media and just sharing this show and all that we do with it with all your friends and family. I really appreciate that. So the show today is on mental hygiene, and I have a subtitle, which is The Rich Caveman. Are you a rich caveman? Are you a rich cavewoman? that you make your world smaller and smaller and smaller so that you have less, I don't know, maybe anxiety or or nervousness when really it actually creates more. And you're making your world smaller and smaller and smaller when you have all kinds of different ways that you can enhance your life. All kinds of opportunities and and different, different resources that you can take advantage of. So the, the one that we first talked about when it came to the goals of mental hygiene is the realization of potentialities. And that's really understanding what your potential is. And are you going to take it seriously? Are you going to, to really use it? Are you going to form it and shape it, enjoy it, let other people be, be benefited from it? And so that idea of potentialities means that we extend outside of ourselves. We see how far out we can go. What are we actually capable of? So let's look at the next one. The next one is happiness. See, happiness is subjective, and it's difficult to define for any group or organization because it means that the goal of mental hygiene is to develop a positive attitude towards life and work so that the individual may, may actually lead an efficient life by utilizing his potential abilities. So we have to have a place that we can exercise our potentialities. And are they going to come to fruition? How much potential do I have in a particular area? So what if I have some potential when it comes to being an artist? I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm going to be Vincent Van Gogh, right? But I want to see how far out I can take it. What if I'm a musician? So I'm going to see how far I can take that. What if I'm an educator, a mathematician? What if I'm a scientist? And so we want to really use the potentialities to increase our happiness. <coughs> Excuse me. So what we want to consider 
is that when we develop a positive attitude towards life and work, that may lead us to an efficient life and it helps us to integrate the talents and the potentialities that we have that make our life feel better and those that are in our life. The next one that we want to really work on is harmonious development. Now, what does that mean? Well, mental hygiene aims at the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, the spiritual capacities of an individual so that he or she can properly adjust to his social environment and contribute to the welfare of society. So this is really important that we say to that caveman or cavewoman, come on out of the cave. Let, let's see what potentialities you have. Let's see how much you can, you can increase the harmony in our society and in your relationships. And so this is part of contributing to the welfare of the society that you live in versus simply taking advantage of what everybody else has done when they've been working on this. So the, key, the goal <clears throat> of mental hygiene is really to prepare the individual to be effective in their existence in society. So this really helps in moving very rapidly towards industrialization, and that can have some, some problems and adjustments. But mental hygiene prepares the individual for effective adjustment. That means that as the world changes, our home life needs to change, schools need to change, work needs to change, society needs to change and adapt. So the scope of mental hygiene includes all behavior problems from in infancy to old age. It's all about managing ourselves. And when we manage ourselves well, we can help the people we love also learn to manage themselves well. So they won't want to be hiding in the cave all the time. So when we think about these functions of mental hygiene, it really recently developed into a science when, when it really became to clearly define and delineate that what happens in our country, what happens in our cities, what happens in our families. And so when we follow those four functions, then we really are then better able to have that really healthy mental hygiene. So we want there to be some training, right? Which is exactly what I'm doing here on the radio show. So the first function of mental hygiene is to train mental health you know, personnel who can really understand someone psychologically and their problems and can help them by meeting their needs. So when we do this, we then really effectively do more, um, more pre prevention because the second important function of mental hygiene is to prevent the mental health problems. So when we develop this, we begin to have less disorders and our communities become healthier. So this is what makes it so difficult, is that these principles are similar in many ways, but we can't seem to get people to really take a hold of it and to really say, hey, I'm gonna put some effort into me. I'm gonna put some effort into my mental hygiene, not just my physical hygiene. So I'm going to worry more about, hey, what's going on inside of my mind, in my heart, in my gut, versus how do I look, how much money I have, who do I know, right? Where's, what job do I have? 
And this is where we want to make sure that as we're understanding this mental hygiene issue, we recognize that it also, the better our mental hygiene, the healthier we are, the less illnesses we have to contend with. And so we want to adjust our homes. Remember when I said that the, the rich caveman? Well, many of us are living in a home where there's no direction, there's no expectation. We just kind of live there together and we just do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. This isn't good mental hygiene. It'll create chaos is what it does. And then it becomes overwhelming for the people that are attempting to be healthier. So we have to recognize what it is that we're doing and how we affect others, which means that the healthier that we are, the more mental hygiene we practice, one of the most important qualities we want to work on is discernment. So I'm sure you've heard the word discernment, but discernment is a quality that we may not have known we had or needed. It's a quality that can really become better. We become better and better at it. It's a very important quality and one that helps with success in many arenas that we live in. So when you think about or hear that someone has dis is described as discerning, what, what does that say to you? What is that discerning person? See, that's someone that sees more than what is there, someone who picks up on things that might otherwise be overlooked or seen as inconsequential to someone, and, that, and then it seems to, they seem to know something that others don't know. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about mental hygiene. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining in today and telling your friends about the show. And I always want to remind you to visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. We have so many things available for you to help you in becoming the best version of you. And so today we're talking about mental hygiene. And so I contrasted it with this idea of mental hygiene and the rich caveman. And so I want you to think about people that you know or the way our society is, and we're kind of digressing, aren't we? It's like we're living more primitively than we've ever lived, except, I don't know, way back in, you know, whatever times, you know, it, this is where we have to say to ourselves, what's going on? That we are lowering, you know, our strive for, for our own potential. And we are, we are making our worlds smaller and smaller and we really have more capacity. We really have more, you know, helps and prompts that we have ever had before. And we are actually becoming less and less. So when you think about this idea of discernment, I want you to understand that discernment is a really important quality. And it is, a, is only in very high-functioning people. So when you, when you think of someone or hear that someone's described as being discerning, I want you to think about someone that sees more than what is there, someone who picks up on things and might otherwise, that might otherwise be overlooked, or maybe 
they pick up on things that to other people seem inconsequential. And it seems like, you know, they know something, but they're not sure why they know it, but they do know it. So discernment is this ability to obtain, obtain sorry, sharp perceptions or to judge well. And, and in the case of judgment, see, discernment can be psychological discernment, moral discernment, aesthetic in nature. Discernment has also been defined in contexts that are scientific. So it's, that is discerning what is true about the real world. Or maybe a normative version is discerning value, including what ought to be and what should be. And so the process of discernment within judgment involves going past the mere perception of something and making nuanced judgments about its properties or qualities. So why is this so important for mental hygiene? Well, are you a discerning person? See, little children are not discerning. How about if you have older people in your family? They're not as discerning. They might be, be scammed more easily, right? So discernment is a virtue and especially in the Christian religion, that really means that that person really is considered to possess wisdom, to have good judgment. So they might be guiding other people. They might be someone that people say, hey, can I run this by you? What do you think about this? Am I seeing the, the whole picture? Am I, am I hearing this correctly? And so this is why the process of discernment, and we've talked about this before, we have the head, the heart, and the gut. And those are the three brains. So when you really decide to come out of your cave, right, you're going to want to have this discernment. Otherwise, guess what? You'll want to run back into the cave and stay there. Trust me, I've been there. I know what that feels like. So this is where we think about what, the, what those three brains mean. And the process of individual discernment has steps that can be taken in order to achieve higher levels of discernment. And so there are some actions that can be made when making decisions of discernment. That means taking time, using both the head and the heart. It's assessing important values that are involved in the situation. So time is a big one. People that are discerning take advantage of time. And they make sure that they are making smart choices that aren't altered by any type of emotionality. So it's important for us, if we want to really be the best version of who we are, that we practice, hey, coming outside the cave and taking some risks, really trying some of these things on attempting to be <clears throat> the best version of who God has made us to be. And that means that we have to listen to what goes on in our head, the brain, what happens with our heart, the passion, what happens with our gut that is all about decision-making and logic and in, in, intuition. And so when we are valuing the way that God has made us, our decisions are going to be based more on rationality and not just emotion. And the values in the discernment process are what weighs those options and helps us to be able to choose more adroitly so that we can stand by our decision. We can stand by our own judgment. And so we need to use those three brains, the head, the heart, and the gut. 
So as we come to the close of this particular uh, section, we're going to jump back into it in the last segment and talk about using all three brains. Welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. This is Conversations with Cynthia. And I want to encourage you to always go to the website. We have handouts available for you, some mini books that you can download. And all the podcasts um, are out there. And I think they've told me now that I have close to 500 podcasts because I have been doing this for 10 years, I think now. So that's amazing. And I'm so thankful that you all take advantage of it. And so today, we're talking about this idea of the rich cavemen. And I'm seeing our society do this, where it used to be that growing up meant that I wanted to go experience the world. And what we have now is this kind of nervousness or actual fear of going out into the world. And so we make our our lives smaller and smaller and smaller. We stay at home. We order in everything right? We, we, we watch television all day. We're on the internet all day. And we really don't go outside of our little cave and interact with people. Well, what that means then is that this really important quality for humans is discernment. If I don't go out into the world, I'm not going to practice discernment, which means I'm going to be more able to be manipulated to be tricked, to be talked into things that I might not want to do. So when we think about the three brains, we have the head, the heart, and the gut. Well, the head, I want you to understand that in your brain, there is not a lot of emotion. There's not a lot of feelings. We have one part of our brain, the amygdala, that has some feelings. But the brain is actually kind of like an engine. That's basically what it is. It's really making things go. It's keeping things going. So it doesn't necessarily have a lot of emotion in it. Well, then we have the heart. And the heart brain is all emotion. It's passion. It's wanting things to go well. It's the attachment issue. You know, it's the closeness that I miss you when you're gone. And then we have the gut. And the gut is where there is wisdom. So if you've ever been in a situation where someone's selling you on something and man, it sounds great and you're listening to it and everything sounds good, the way they're handling it, the way they're presenting it, it sounds great, but somehow you're just getting this nagging feeling that goes, I don't know about this, I'm not sure. Well, that's the gut, that's the gut part. And I want you to know that there are more neurotransmitters in one inch of your intestines than in your entire brain. So when God talks about your loins, the gut, that's what he's talking about. So think about this need to be using those three brains and to being able then to understand, hey, if I come out of my cave, what do I have to offer the world and what am I going to allow the world to give me? And this is part of just the human process. So using all three brains helps us to be more discerning. And the reason that we're talking about this discernment piece is that's a safety issue that God has given us. That quality, discernment as a quality, 
is to help you. It helps you figure out how to do the right thing in the right way at the right time, even if you don't have enough information. So values and discernment process, that, that process is weighing options. And it's taking all kinds of information into consideration. And it's being able to weigh and measure what is the best decision to make. So when we are using all three brains, we're going to have a very successful discernment process. And this makes for better mental hygiene. Think about this. If you don't practice discernment, and you just do whatever comes natural to you, and you don't listen to, to your brain yelling at you, and your heart imploring you, and your gut really wrenching, then what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt. And if you get hurt, if you get shamed, you're going to want to go back into your cave and not come back out. So this means that, that the individual, I, as me, I need to keep in mind what's best for me as well as what's best for the group that I, that I interact with. So this means I might have to make some personal concessions for the good of the group or adjust and flex to what's in the best interest of the group. And this is an overall overarching way of looking at this system that we live in. And we all have, and we've talked about systems before. You know, we have the group at work. We have our neighborhood. We have our church group. We have our friend group. We have parents of our children, you know, the children's group that they're in. So we have to be able to do this when it comes to discernment in how we are going to differentiate between that sounds like a really good idea, but I'm not sure it's a good one. And I probably need to bring that up and not be fearful to bring up a dissenting opinion. So this is one of the things that really helps. I just want you to ask God. Go to the source for the gift of discernment. See, we need discerning people to know the difference between the truth and a lie. And we need people with good, solid judgment. Humble people who learn, care, discern, and uphold the truth that helps steer people correctly and not for selfish gain. So we need people who are able to look into their own soul and accept that change may need to occur. And people that are willing to stop lying to themselves in order to feel better, but are brave enough to crave and accept the truth, even and when it means that things might need to change like they might need to come out of the cave and take some risks. So they can admit being stung and use that as a way to redirect or change course. These individuals who crave this, right, really are practicing humility. So they're in tune, like when you think about that, they're in tune with God, they're in tune with themselves, they're in tune with the people they're closest to, who they're serving or who they're working with. And they say to themselves, hey, maybe I need to ask for some wisdom. And that's that beautiful, beautiful biblical verse that says, let he who lacks wisdom ask. So if any of you lacks wisdom, you need to ask God. And he says he gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And that's James chapter 1, verse 5. And I love that verse because it gives me courage to be the best version of me. That if I don't know, I'm not going to have a shame attack over it. If I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe people will think I, sh people think I should know. 
but I can't know something I don't know. And so there's wisdom in the counsel of many, right? So discernment is truly that ability to obtain these sharp perceptions and to judge well. And, and to be able to discern psychologically or moral or aesthetically what needs to happen and what needs to change. And discernment, when it's done in a healthy way, always sets people free. It always helps us be the best versions of who God has intended for us to be. So the process of discernment within judgment involves going past the mere perception of something and making nuanced judgments about its properties or qualities. See, discernment, especially in the Christian religion, is considered a virtue. A discerning individual is considered to possess wisdom and to be of good judgment, someone that we can trust. And this is why I want you to consider that you may have judgment, you may have discernment, you may not have the confidence to speak it, so what I want you to do is if you get into a situation where you walk away from the interaction and you always say to yourself, oh, I should have said this. I could have said that. Why didn't I say it? And you always are doing the coulda, woulda, shoulda, if only then. This is what I want you to practice. I want you to say to yourself, if I know I should have said something, then I'm going to ask God for courage. And I'm going to say to God, I'm promising that if I have that quality, Lord, I'm going to walk it out. Even if I might be wrong, I'm still going to take the risk. And so discernment requires time to understand and that we don't want to rush to judgment. It isn't an emotional issue. See, truth is, is discerned when we are willing to hear truth. I may not always like the truth, but I want to be a wiser person. So I want to be able to handle the truth. And so this is imperative when we're falling into judging ourselves. We need to take time with ourselves, and we need to learn ourselves, right? So that we can know ourselves, so that whatever mistake or blunder or sin occurs, we're better able to forgive ourselves and work our way out of it and through it. See, when we rush to judgment, we usually have to apologize. And if we rush to judgment, many times we're incorrect. And judgment is quite painful. And if the judgment is true, then it should be. If the judgment is true, it will set us free. But if we're making sweeping judgments about ourselves or other people, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. So this is why we have to understand that forming a judgment means taking a decision, right? And it means taking a stance. And this is where we have to understand that discretion needs to be subjective. And that means that we're not going to be judging in the very beginning. We're going to say to, one or, to ourselves, to one another, come let us reason together. Let's just simply talk this out. We're not going to assume that anybody's right, right off the bat. Even if all of us, all the players think we're, you know, each one of us is right. We're going to let that process happen. So what this means is that when with this phenomenon of different readings where there's different minds and conscientiously we're arriving 
at different assessments, this still needs to be honored so that we can say, you know, I did hear him out and I feel good about that. He did not change my mind though. And that's an honest statement. So this is why we want to make sure that with discernment, we are actually helping ourselves and the group of people that we are with. And that this is why we work on this really important one that I've talked to you about before, and that's the spitting out the seeds, right? We don't have to throw away the entire fruit simply because there are seeds. What we want is that God is going to give us a fresh start and new beginnings, and that we're going to have a, a, a perspective that is inclusive, even if we don't agree. But more than anything, we're not going to live as the rich caveman that has so much to offer, but is so afraid to come out into the world, join the world, and, and put a fingerprint on the world. We're not going to be that rich caveman or rich cavewoman anymore with all the qualities that we have, the life lessons that we have, the fact that we have Christ inside of us that is helping us all along, and that no one's asking us to be perfect. In fact, they're just asking us to be honest as best as we can. And this is what we want to think about. When we think about mental hygiene, when you are practicing these things we've talked about in this show, you're going to be amazed at how much more confident you are and how much better you sleep. And you don't have all that nagging, coulda, shoulda, woulda, if only then issue. Because you're going to say to yourself, hey, I showed up in the world that I'm in and I was willing to take some risks and I want to hear differing opinions and ideas. I don't have to change my mind, but I want to be strong enough to hear differing ideas. And I can still love those people. And I can practice being kind to myself, forgiving of myself, supporting myself. And that helps me to do it to my friends and family and coworkers as well. So this is Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Have a great week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from our website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be